Welcome to Abstract, colon, the future of science. I'm your host, Jeremy Ullman, and today, as always, we are bringing unprecedented accessibility to graduate research. We recorded in the past, you're listening in the present, and we're discussing the future of science. Enjoy the show. We're here today with the energetic, friendly, curious, National Science Foundation-funded astronomy and astrophysics postdoctoral fellow, Dr. Abby Stevens. Abby, legend has it you've completed your PhD, focusing in no small part on the phase-resolved spectroscopy of quasi-periodic oscillations in outbursting black hole X-ray binaries, but before we get into that, please tell us a bit about yourself and, of course, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Jeremy. Um, so I'm Dr. Abby Stevens. I work at both Michigan State University and the University of Michigan. And I study black holes and neutron stars by looking at X-ray light coming from stars that they're eating. They're not very good friends when they have stars nearby them. Um, alongside this research, I'm involved in X-ray space telescopes, in public science talks and science consulting on creative projects, open source software development, and mental well-being initiatives in academia. And prior to Michigan, I did my PhD at the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands, my master's at the University of Alberta in Canada, and my bachelor's at Bard College in upstate New York. And in my spare time, I like to knit, garden, travel, and read. Awesome. It's great to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. You've been everywhere already. You've been all across the, uh, the North American continent, so that's great. You're yep. exploring the universe. Yep. So I'm glad to catch you at the intersection of both of those today. So... I just want to hop right into things. Sure. We definitely have a lot to talk about. You are quite advanced in your academic career. That's right. Currently, yeah, currently you are researching what I can maybe call binary systems. Yeah, X-ray binaries is what we call them. X-ray binaries. So how do these binary systems form, whether it's a neutron star or a black hole gobbling up another star? So these systems have a massive star that has died massive stars die much sooner than low mass stars like our sun. And so the massive star has died and gone supernova and turned into either a black hole or a neutron star, depending on how big it was. Mm -hmm. And then it has a normal star like our sun, like a small star, that is still like a, a star. It's not a compact object, as we call black holes and neutron stars. Mm. And they are pretty close together. So close, in fact, that the outer material of the low mass star is more gravitationally attracted to the black hole or neutron star than it is to its own star. And so this material starts to fall off of the star and towards the black hole or the neutron star. And so it's almost like uh, siphoning it off a little bit, like the black hole or neutron star is siphoning off some of the hot star stuff. And as the black hole or neutron star is eating this, it can't eat all of it all at once. And so it forms this like disc, we call it an accretion disc, around the black hole or the neutron star. And you can kind of think of it like it's filling its plate and it's getting ready to eat all this stuff. <laughs> um, Yummy. And this stuff in this disc gets super, super hot and it shines really bright X-ray heat light. And so we use X-ray telescopes to look at the heat light coming from this stuff. Um, and they wiggle super fast. And um, we can learn more about um, stuff around black holes and neutron stars this way. Okay, so there's, there's already so much to deconstruct. So we've got this wiggling that we're going to get into in just a moment. Yep. I'm, I'm kind of picturing this like this like orbiting horizontal waterfall of material kind of. Yeah. It's like a weird cosmic dance of sorts. 
Yeah, it totally is. They're in kind of like a little tango going around each other. The star doesn't stay a perfect sphere or ball. The star kind of has this like elongated to a nozzle bit as the stuff is coming off of it. Mm-hmm. And then that's feeding into this like pancakey disc. You can almost think of it like a tutu around a ballerina. <laughs> It makes this little disc all the way around yeah. it, and it can be pretty fluffy, we have learned. Um, How do we define fluffiness and, in like a cosmic way? We can define fluffiness. So the really boring way to do it is in terms of optical depth. Uh-huh. Um, Which is? So this is telling you how long a piece of light, a photon, can travel before it hits something. Okay. Um, and so if it has a low optical depth, then that means it's pretty fluffy. Mm-hmm. But in other senses, it's just like like a cloud. Like it's fluffy. Sure. Like if you think of a cloud versus a brick, like a cloud is fluffier. Okay, so so depth here is almost analogous to density. Yeah, yeah. Got it. It's like optical density. Yeah, pretty much. Sure. Maybe there's some differences here, but it's okay if we don't that's get fine. into those. It, that's, that's, that's totally fine. fine. We've got pancakes, we've got plates, we've got accretion. Um, yeah. So like... Is there, is there a whole field of astrophysics that just studies accretion? Yes, there is. There are people that study this from a theory side. So they take really big computers and they build a little fake universe in there and they set up the parameters and they set up their numbers to simulate an entire accretion disk. And this is really cool. You can do these for both the small black holes that are formed from exploding stars. We call these stellar mass or stellar black holes. But there's also supermassive black holes, like the one at the center of our own galaxy Mm -hmm. and in the centers of kind of all the other galaxies that we've seen. And uh, some of these have are much more active. We call them active galactic nuclei um, because they're at the center of their galaxy and they're very active. So they're very bright. And those ones also have accretion disks. And so you can simulate the disks around a supermassive black hole or around a stellar black hole or neutron star. I, I just got like 100 million questions. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess one for every thousand stars in our own galaxy. So <laughs> can we consider the Milky Way galaxy the accretion disk of the active galactic nucleus in the middle of the galaxy? So we do not have an active galactic nucleus. Our black hole is like under eating. It's like not hungry. Okay. And it's like remarkably dim, actually. This is like a point of interest in people who study supermassive black holes is why is ours so quiet? We don't know if it's already full in some sense, like in like physics speaking, if Mm -hmm. it's already full-ish. I mean, you can't fill a black hole, but like, you know, if the black hole had a personality, maybe it's already eaten a whole bunch and it just needs to wait a little bit. Quick IHOP drive by like five billion years ago. Like it's already digesting. been there. It just needs to sit and digest a moment like after a Thanksgiving dinner. Uh-huh. But we don't really have evidence of the Thanksgiving dinner in like the stars nearby as far as I know. Maybe we do. I don't know. You should ask someone else about that. So just to be clear though, like uh, <laughs> there is a difference between an, like active or non-active. Yeah. There is a difference between an accretion disk and like a galaxy that forms around a black hole. Like those are That's different. That's right. Yeah, okay. there's a difference between an accretion disk, which is specifically like hot gas and plasma, cool. and just like the stuff in a galaxy. So Got the it. accretion disk is much, much closer mm-hmm. to the black hole. So Got even it. in a different galaxy that has an active galactic nucleus, there's still a difference between the accretion disk that's pretty close by and like all the other stars that are in the galaxy. Okay. 
separate things. Accretion disk, gaseous hot matter falling in, but then the yep. galaxy rotating around, that's all chilling. It's like still a galaxy. Still yeah. a galaxy. Excellent. I'm glad that we are still a galaxy. That is good. Yeah. We need a little bit of stability. Okay. So I do just kind of want to reiterate this because I was speaking to my mom a little while ago and she didn't know that there was a, like a giant million, like multi-million solar mass black hole in the center of our galaxy. Right. Is that normal? Like do, do most galaxies have black holes in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. So, so quick back up. For astronomy, the units that we use to measure things are different from what we use here on Earth. So here on Earth, we use mass units like um, kilograms or pounds, depending where you live. Mm -hmm. But on astronomical scales, especially once you get outside the solar system, pounds and grams and kilograms just isn't quite useful. So instead, we use um, mass of the sun as one unit of mass. So our sun is one solar mass. Excellent. So a neutron star tends to be about one to two solar masses. The heaviest possible is like about 2.5-ish. In terms of what we've seen, or in terms of like theoretically? In terms of theoretically, and we haven't seen one that's quite that heavy yet. Mm -hmm. I think the heaviest one we've seen is like 2.3 solar masses. I think technically you could get closer to three solar masses. Um, But three solar masses is kind of the break between if it forms a neutron star or if it collapses further into a black hole. Mm, So then stellar mass black holes, which are formed from an exploding massive star, these ones, the smallest we've seen is like, I don't know, like like five or so solar masses. They tend to be tens of solar masses up to maybe a hundred solar masses. The ones that we've seen with LIGO through gravitational wave detections, these ones are very heavy because we just, they they produce a bigger signal, so we're more likely to see them. And so these ones are more like 60 to 100 solar masses. But then when we scale up much higher to the supermassive black holes, which have been around since super early in the universe, these ones are at the centers of nearly every galaxy. And these ones are millions to billions of times the mass of the sun. Oh my God. Yeah, they get big, like tens of billions. I think, yeah, tens of billions is as big as they get. And, and they can keep growing. They can keep getting bigger. But there's no way that like the 10 billion solar mass black hole formed from a collapsing star. No, definitely not. Like how did that get there? So so first I want to say, so the, um, the uh, black hole at the center of our own Milky Way galaxy, sure. its name is Sagittarius A star. Okay. And it is about 4.3 million times the mass of the sun which it turns out is like a nice normal medium size for a supermassive black hole, which is great. Okay. So these black holes are super big. And one of the big questions that we have in black hole astrophysics is, um, is there a connection, like evolutionarily speaking, between stellar mass black holes and supermassive black holes? Because you'll notice I said the stellar mass black holes are like 10 to 100 times the mass of the sun. Mm-hmm. And then the supermassive ones are millions to billions of times the mass of the sun. Yeah. What's in the middle? Is there anything? There's like two, depending on who you talk to. I once did a Twitter poll on how many, we call them intermediate mass black holes. Again, we're very clever with naming things. <laughs> um, and so, you know, things that are around like a thousand times the mass of the sun to like 10,000 times the mass of the sun, like middle. Yeah. Um, depending on who you ask, we have seen zero to five of these. And that a is a small, no, that is a tiny number compared to the, I don't know, what, 
millions of stellar mass black holes in our galaxy and then the billions of galaxies that have their own supermassive black hole. Wait, 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 wait. We have black holes in our own galaxy other than the one in the middle? A whole bunch. A whole bunch of stellar mass black holes. All of the stellar mass black holes that I study are in our own galaxy. Oh, yeah. wow. Because we've had a bunch <laughs> of massive stars that have burned through all of their fuel and right. died in a dazzling supernova. And then if they're really big, like more than 20 times the mass of our sun initially, then when they explode, they turn into a black hole. Have we ever observed a supernova explosion? We observe supernovae every night. Every night? Every night. Um, <laughs> most of them are not happening in our own galaxy. Um, okay. Supernovae are so bright that you can see them in other galaxies and even distant galaxies. Uh-huh. The most recent one in our galaxy, you're going to want to fact check this. It's um, So 1987A is the name of a supernova in our galaxy that was super bright. Can I guess? It happened in 1987? <laughs> It did, yeah. and it was the first one, hence the A. The first of that year. Sure. If there were a second, it would have been B, but there wasn't a second, so it's just A. Well, So hold on. You just said that every single night we see these. In other galaxies. Okay. We see supernovae in other galaxies. <laughs> so, and there okay. are a ton of other galaxies, right. and each of them have their own massive star populations to varying degrees. And so they're... Our supernovae. And so obviously we're probably looking in the wrong direction a lot of the time too. Like if we're only seeing one a night, there are probably lots happening behind us. Or I mean, behind in the the telescopic sense. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, We can only see things that are sending light in our direction when we're looking at them. Or in the case of gravitational waves, only sending gravitational waves when the detector is on. Or in the case of neutrinos, only sending a neutrino towards us that interacts when we're looking. So there's a whole bunch more stuff happening that we infer is happening because of math and physics and how we know the universe to work, but we don't see it. So like most of the stellar mass black holes in our galaxy, we can't see because we can only see them when they're shining something in our direction. Mm -hmm. And most black holes aren't shining anything. Right. And they're not in the way of anything. So they're not blocking stuff. So we can't see them. One of the best ways we have to see them is when they are eating a low mass star in these x-ray binaries that I study. Great transition. And that's shine- Thank you. <laughs> and that's shining x-ray light, not from the black hole itself, but from right around the black hole in this dinner plate that it's filling up. Uh-huh. So excellent pro-level transition there. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm quite uh, proud of that. Yeah. Excellent snaps for that. Um, so you did mention this, this, this wobbling, you just kind of threw that in there. Like you said that these binaries wobble, what, what exactly is going on there? So I'm going to back up a second. The x-rays that we're seeing are from the heat of the stuff that's around the black hole. And if we think about heat light in general, so everything is hot to some degree. So like human bodies, we are warm and we shine our heat light in the infrared light. So this is how like night vision goggles work. Mm -hmm. And the sun is hotter than us and it shines its heat light mostly in the visible light range, but also quite a bit in infrared for heat and quite a bit in ultraviolet or UV, which is what gives you freckles and skin cancer and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Love the freckles, not so much the skin cancer. Yeah, I have a preference there as well. Um, So these accretion disks around black holes and neutron stars, the stuff in there is so hot. It's like 2 million degrees Fahrenheit, Mm -hmm. which is 
also a lot in Celsius. <laughs> um, roughly one million-ish. American bias. I mean, I know I know Celsius for like Earth temperatures. Uh-huh. I don't know it for accretion disk temperatures. So roughly a million degrees Celsius. Um, and so this is so hot that its heat light is shining in X-rays, which is stupidly hot. But this heat light that we see from it is not constant. So like the light from our sun is constant for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it goes away when we're not facing it when it's nighttime, but like the sun is not wiggling very much in terms of its like brightness. Okay. Whereas around these black holes and neutron stars, we see pretty significant changes in the X-ray light that we see from them, both in terms of brightness and in terms of the like X-ray color or the, the energy of the X-ray light. X-ray color because there's like different levels of X-ray energy? Right. So the same way that visible light has different colors, like red, green, blue, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Um, pretend I know the rainbow. It's fine. Um, <laughs> that's and enough. Yeah. That's, that's enough. That's red, green, colors. and blue is what most things are yeah. made of anyways, from a physics perspective. Um, and in terms of our eyeballs. Exactly. So in the same way that visible light has different colors and those correspond to different energies of the light, X-ray has the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So it's like... a a range of light and it has different colors within that. So this wobble then, this wobble isn't a physical wobble of objects. It is a wobbling in the amount of heat being released. So what we have been looking at is whether or not it is what we would call intrinsic changes. So like changing in heat or changing in like light scattering amount or something, or whether or not it is technically constant all over but something is moving and that's causing a difference in light the way like Uh, the sun is always shining but it appears to get brighter and dimmer because we are rotating on the earth right night doesn't exist it isn't like when it's nighttime for us the sun shuts off exactly which is like a shock to (laughs) three-year-olds um object permanence so we are so yeah so we are at the three to four-year-old level of of understanding the earth moon sun system when it comes to x-ray binaries Ah, of trying to figure out whether or not it is actually getting dimmer and brighter and changing in color while it's doing that or if it's just fairly constant overall but there are like physical or what we call geometric changes that are causing Uh this and what are the implications of that in either direction like if we find out that it is in fact a physical thing or if it's not So this tells us more about how matter behaves in really extreme strong gravity. The gravitational fields around black holes are like the strongest possible. And around neutron stars, it's like nearly the strongest possible. So um, these are ways that we have to study matter in extreme environments that is not reproducible anywhere in the solar system. So black holes and neutron stars, you refer to those as compact objects before. Are there other kinds of compact objects? There is another thing called a white dwarf. Um, Sometimes it's considered a compact object. Sometimes it isn't. Um, I would consider it semi-compact. Okay. Um, And so these three things, white dwarfs, neutron stars, and black holes, are the three like leftover states of a dead star. So if a star is very small, up to about like eight times the mass of our sun, then it will ultimately turn into a white dwarf at the end of its life. So our sun will turn into a white dwarf at the end of its life. If it's about 8 to like 20 or so times as massive as the sun, it'll end up as a neutron star after it goes supernova. Mm -hmm. And then if it's more than 20 times the mass of our sun, it'll end up as a black hole. And so a white dwarf is like Earth-sized roughly, 
but it has like one times the mass of the sun squished into there. And so it's pretty dense still, pretty compact. Mm -hmm. I see, I see. And so you can test some bits of like general relativity around it, but there's also just interesting like plasma physics and thermonuclear physics. So like nuclear reactions on their surface and stuff. Neutron stars are like 15 miles across yeah. or so. So they're the size of a city. Whoa, um, way more compact. Way more compact, and they have one to two and a half times the mass of the sun stuffed in there. So much smaller space with more stuff. You know, this is there's a really in interesting like mass trade-off here because you said that like a single solar mass star will approximately compact all of its mass into a white dwarf. But then if you're going to be going into a supernova explosion, you're going to actually shed off a lot of mass. Right. And only a little bit's going to be left to actually form that compact body. So this is why with a neutron star, the initial star was 8 to 20 times the mass of the sun, but the leftover neutron star is only 1 to 2.5 times the mass yeah. of the sun. What happens to all that mass that's ejected? Is, it like, is that like a nebula? or? Yeah, so it forms a supernova remnant. Um, and these are really beautiful nebulae, which are clouds of dust and gas in the universe that we can see. So there's one of them called the Crab Nebula that I encourage your listeners to look up. It's very beautiful. Crab Nebula. Um, and there is a crab pulsar at the center of it that is... Pulsar. New word. New word. Pulsar. So a pulsar is a neutron star that has very precise periodic pulsations coming from it. And this is because it is rotating, often very rapidly... Shining light constantly, we see it every time it points at us. So we think of it like a lighthouse yeah. in the cosmos, where a lighthouse is always shining, but you only see the beam when it like passes by your line of sight. Mm -hmm. Pulsars are like that. Very cool. So sometimes we use pulsar and neutron star interchangeably because um, quite a few neutron stars are pulsars. They're like uh, fraternal twins. Some of them might be pulsars. We just can't see like the pulses because of the way that they are pointing. Um, just because we're not in the line of sight for the, the pulse. Right. Beam. Like if you were like flying above a lighthouse, the light would be kind of like parallel to you. Exactly. So you wouldn't see the lighthouse bit. You would just see that it's like generally illuminated down there. Uh -huh. We see a lot of generally illuminated neutron stars. Yeah. And not all neutron stars have to be pulsars. Some of them like are not. But there's probably some more pulsars than what we can see. My heart rate has just been elevated for the last 25 minutes. This has been the most high-octane interview I've had in a very long time. Oh, this is why crazy. I like it so much. Like, this, like to me, studying black holes and neutron stars is just the coolest possible thing I could be doing with my time. It's, it's pretty darn cool. You, you told yeah. me when we met last week that there's like a super bright black hole right now. Can you just speak to that for a couple of minutes? I, I just want to hear about oh, that yeah. again. This black hole, its name is 4U1543-47. Yes. Again, do not allow astronomers to name things. I mean, it makes <laughs> sense, but it's boring. Yeah. Um, so that name, the 4U at the beginning, means that it is cataloged in the fourth Uhuru catalog. Uhuru was an X-ray telescope. And then the like telephone number, as we call it, the 1543-47, is its galactic coordinates. So this is one that's in our galaxy. Okay. So black holes aren't constantly bright the whole time. Not only are there these little wiggles around them, but they also have much more massive changes over the period of, of months to years. And we call this going into outburst, where it will be very quiet and we won't see like any X-ray light coming from it at all for years, sometimes 20 or 40 years or whatever. And then suddenly it will start to get quite bright. 
as the the stuff that it's eating is kind of undergoing these plasma instabilities and getting like like think of it as though you're eating something and suddenly for like vague plasma physics reasons it's getting a lot spicier and a lot hotter <laughs> and so you start to make a lot more noise about that. I love that. Uh the black hole is doing that as it's as the stuff it's eating is getting plasma spicier. Why so spicy the plasma? Why so spicy? The plasma gets so spicy for for reasons that we only kind of understand. It's a good thing it's a Milky Way galaxy. Milk is great for uh, milk is great spice. for spice. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So as this is getting hotter and spicier, um, black holes not only have this accretion disk, but many of them also have these jets, which are like fire hoses that are spitting out the top and bottom of them. And these jets shine really brightly in wavelengths all the way from X-ray at the very, very base of them, really close to the black hole, out to radio light when you look at like these big like ends of them. And so when they first start to get bright like this, we tend to see a lot of light from these jets and not much at all from the accretion disk. But as it's going through this outburst and things are changing a bit, then the jets are getting quieter and dimmer and the accretion disk is getting brighter and brighter. That's a good trade-off. Yeah. And so these fast wiggles that I look at are happening in one of these intermediary stages where we have both the jet bright and the disk bright. So there's some kind of interplay between the jet mechanism and the accretion disk happening that is causing these wiggles. And then for a while, it'll have just a bright disk and the jet is gone as far as we can see. Mm -hmm. And then once it's kind of done that for a while, like months typically, then it'll start to get dimmer and then uh, the disk will get dimmer and then the jet will turn back on and we'll see jet emission again. And then the disk gets quieter and quieter and then the jet gets quieter and then the whole thing gets quiet again. There is this pattern. So we call these cycles of outburst and quiescence amazing i'm glad there's a name so we have a black hole we have a couple black holes but we have one in particular that's in outburst right now its name is 4u1543-47 and it got super super bright uh, which is part of why it was so um, exciting to us so in x-ray astronomy we are counting individual bits of light Like we're counting each individual X-ray photon because there's such a small amount of X-ray light coming from things in general. Mm -hmm. And this stuff got so bright that even our, well, like one of our best detectors, which is called NICER, it's on the International Space Station. Cool. NICER is meant to look at bright stuff in our galaxy, um, primarily looking at neutron stars and X-ray pulsars. NICER had to turn off... 85% of its detectors in order to keep looking at this black hole when it was in the peak of its outburst. So it's like if if something's really bright, you have to like shield your eye, like you have to squint and like shield your eyes. Mm -hmm. We had to do that with our x-ray detectors because it was so bright. And we only have so much bandwidth to get the data down from the telescope to Earth. Uh And so we have to shut off a bunch of the detectors in order to be able to keep looking at it. I just love like the irony that that black holes can be so bright because of yeah. what they do to the space around them. 
Exactly. So like, as we know, black holes themselves can't shine any light. And that's why they look dark or black to us. That's how they get their name. Mm -hmm. But since they have such strong gravity, they're able to have such an extreme effect on their space environments around them that um, we just see wild stuff. So um, thinking back to all of the funny units that astronomers use for things, one of the ways that we measure X-ray brightness of something in terms of observations is to say how many times the brightness of the crab it is, the crab being this pulsar nebula thing. Mm -hmm. And so one crab is pretty bright. A lot of times when these things are starting off in their outburst, they are like a thousand times less bright than the crab. Occasionally, something will get up to like two or three crab, and this is like quite exciting. A few years ago, we had something get up to about seven crab, and this was like, oh my god, can you believe it? <laughs> and this one got up to 11 crab like two weeks ago, which is just so bright. Like, I really want to impart upon your listeners just how stupidly, impossibly bright this is. Impossibly yet possibly. Impossible yet possible. Yeah. Exactly. That's like, the universe, right? Like, impossible yet possible. Part of what I love about studying extreme objects like black holes and neutron stars is that it just doesn't seem like it should be possible and yet it is because i have the data and i can look at the data and i see that it's possible yeah now that we're kind of rounding off this discussion about all the crazy things that happen on macroscopic scales it's reminding me how yeah. much i really want to have someone on the show to talk about the quantum world because in the same way and at the totally opposite side of the size spectrum there are things that do not seem possible that are happening and I, again thank you for like speaking to the listeners directly i hope you're listening right now big or small crazy things are happening all of the time absolutely it's like wild that it's all the universe that we live in. Wow. Like I love science fiction, but sometimes the universe is is just kind of takes it that little step further. Science fact. That's the Science fact. That's abstract coal in the future of science. It's all facts. <laughs> Amazing. Abby, this was uh I mean, Dr. Stevens, please. This has been an absolute pleasure. Wow, I think my heart rate is just finally coming down now that I've thinking about <laughs> the beauty of the universe and I'm kind of yeah. overwhelmed by the sense of calm. What a treat. What an absolute treat. I, I do have just one final question for you, which yeah. is how, if I or the listeners want to continue to learn about the amazing research that you're doing, can we access more? So there are some great uh, documentaries about space and astrophysics on um, the PBS section NOVA. Yeah. which are great. Nova produce wonderful documentaries um, that go into great detail and they consult with experts and it's a really great place to learn more about space physics and astronomy. There are also some more like educational type videos that are by Crash Course and they have an astronomy crash course and they have videos about like pretty much everything in astronomy. So they have one on black holes, they have one on neutron stars, they also have one on what they call deep time, which is when black holes take over at the end of the universe. I'm down. Which I will just leave as a little teaser for your listeners to go find the video and, and learn about. Awesome. And oh, there's actually quite a few of us on Twitter. Um, Astronomy Twitter is a fun place to be. We don't tweet about science all the time, of course, because being a scientist is just one small part of who we are as people. But um, sure? there's some really cool... <laughs> yeah. But there's some really cool space things that we talk about which is a lot of fun. And what is your handle so people can find you? My handle is Abigail Stev, S-T-E-V. Perfect. Amazing. So you heard it here first, Dr. Abby Stevens, Abstract Cole in the Future of Science. 
black holes, neutron stars, everything in between and everything outside of them. Abby, again, thank you so much for being here. This is an absolute pleasure. Have yourself an awesome rest of the day. Thank you so much, Jeremy. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can check us out at abstractcast on Instagram. If you have any feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at abstractcast at gmail.com. This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts. So feel free to check us out around the internet. Until then, take it easy.